Hey everyone, thank you for joining us for the inaugural episode of Faith in the Folds, a podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. On the night of March 2nd and early morning of March 3rd, 2020, Middle Tennessee was rocked by a series of tornadoes ranging in strength from EF3 to EF4. As if almost in a line running parallel with Interstate 40, portions of Nashville, Mount Juliet, Lebanon, and Cookville, Tennessee, as well as other townships, were absolutely devastated. Winds in Cookville reached up to 175 miles an hour, and the property damage in all the areas affected by the storms totaled into the billions of dollars. I grew up in Middle Tennessee, and basically everyone I know who still lives back home either experienced some kind of loss or knows someone who did. A church less than half a mile down the street from my parents' house, the house I grew up in, was basically destroyed, and it seems like almost everyone on the eastern side of Nashville and farther east has a similar story. These days, that property damage is harder to come by, but can still be seen if you know where to look. The real cost, however, was the human cost. On the one-year anniversary of the storms, I wanted to sit and listen to minister John Nichols reflect on the impact of these storms in the community and the church he works with. John has been in congregational ministry for 16 years and has served for the last two and a half years as the preaching minister for the College Side Church of Christ in Cookville, Tennessee, the epicenter of last year's storms. John, thank you so much for joining us today on uh, the inaugural episode of uh, Faith in the Folds, a podcast for uh, ministry, biblical studies, and uh, Christian living. I am uh, glad to talk with you today about uh, something that is going to be on a lot of people's minds uh, here in the next uh, few days. The uh, tornadoes that struck Middle Tennessee back in 2020 uh, almost seemed like they didn't get their, uh, their fair shake because it was just a, a week or so after that that we ended up, uh, not just uh, Middle Tennessee, but uh, really the rest of the country ended up having to go into uh, the initial stages of quarantine. And so uh, the tornadoes were coming around to their first anniversary. And um, I know, I'm sure that there are a lot of folks who are wondering, you know, wanting to take a, a look back, you know, what has happened a year later. To help us kind of set the scene for, for what happened during that time and what has happened since then, can you kind of walk us through the initial day or days immediately following those, uh, those uh, tornadoes? I'd be happy to. And, and thanks so much for inviting me on. Uh, I'm honored to, to be uh, talking with you specifically, but also uh, anybody out there watching or listening. Tuesday, early Tuesday morning, March the 3rd, 2020, uh, will forever be in my memory. Um, my wife and I had gone to bed the night before, uh, knowing that there would be some, um, some opportunity for some significant weather. Um, certainly, we didn't uh, ever dream that what would happen would actually happen. 
Um, and so uh, she woke me up where, where, where I live. Uh, I've got three small boys and a, and a wife. And um, it was just about two miles as the crow flies from where the storm hit the hardest in, in the Cookville area. And if, if you're not familiar with the geography of Tennessee, that's about halfway, give or take, between Nashville and Knoxville. And um, we knew early in the morning, around 1.45, 2 o'clock in the morning, something significant was happening. We could just hear it. And, um, and so we went to our basement, and um, not too much later, I received a phone call from someone who uh, lived in the neighborhood that was um, hit the hardest. And from the tone of his voice, um, I, I knew that it was um, a tragic situation. And so, uh, you know, threw some clothes on and uh, got into my pickup truck and drove into town and then spent the rest of the day, that day, um, at the hospital and um, with, with a host of others, um, you know, in a way, uh, well, I don't mean to say it that way. I, I'm, I am profoundly thankful that COVID had not um, shut everything down at that point. Um, we were still about a week and a half from the national shut down lockdown. Mm -hmm. um, and so with, with many other people spent all day at the hospital um, and, and as the hours passed on that day, the reality began to set in um, that lives were lost, that, that homes had been um, obliterated. I mean, just, just not there anymore. Not, not two pieces of wood stuck together. Um, and so we, we began to really feel um, the weight of the experience. And, and the church that I, uh, where I work, um, we felt it especially hard. Um, that sting was especially potent. And um, it, it, it was uh, a the hardest day of my life. And, and then the days that followed, obviously all of the things that had to happen. And I'm sure we'll talk about that, but that, that kind of gives you a, 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 you know, an overview of the events of the day for sure. Yeah. Middle Tennessee covers a, a pretty wide geographic range for those uh, like John mentioned, who not, not necessarily familiar with the geography of Tennessee. Um, split up into kind of the three distinct regions, east, middle, and west. And middle can cover anything from you know, like an hour and a half, half west of Nashville to an hour and a half east of Nashville. And Cookville falls comfortably in that range of, it's about 75 miles down the interstate. Um, you mentioned homes and you know, just the destruction of property. My parents uh, live on the eastern side of Nashville in a church not half a mile down the street was just ripped in two. My mom had been in that building earlier that day or the day before. 
And so there's a lot of folks across a very wide area that experienced that kind of um, experienced the same kind of destruction that you did. Um, John, this is, uh, you mentioned that it's, that, that you were almost glad, and, and I, I, I think I understood how you, how you meant it, that you were almost, it was almost a, a, not necessarily a good thing, but you were almost glad that COVID hadn't hit yet in the way that it had, because as a minister, you, I mean, you felt a real need to be with people in the hospital and not just you as a minister, but I mean, people from, from all over, you know, just regular uh, church members, church leaders, uh, not just, not just at your church, but uh, uh, across the city felt a real need to be with people. Let me ask this though. I mean, after that, what changed about how you did church? Did you, did you preach a different series? Did you decide, yeah. man, we got to switch gears because we got to address this? What, what actually, a year, like looking back a year later, what changed? Well, everything. And I know, I know that that is cliche, um, but, but, but it really is true. Uh, so, so just a little bit of a further um, background to, to maybe to give uh, some context for our specific um, situation. The Sunday before, uh, I stood on the stage at the College Side Church of Christ with a shepherd, um, and we laid out a vision for our church. And, wow. and part of that vision was, you know, obviously related to our church body local in Cookville, but also the fact that we wanted to plant churches and, and do uh, some missional things and, and, and just really take a step forward in faith. And so that happened um, just the Sunday before Tuesday, March the 2nd. So that day happened. I knew immediately that the following Sunday, we were not going to continue our vision series. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that just wasn't, that, that wasn't going to happen. Um, and so um, felt, you know, some conviction and some, and some direction um, through the word and, and uh, through people around. And so talked about, you know, hope and peace and, and the love of God and those kind of things. And then immediately, I mean, the very next Sunday, we had half our audience because COVID, um, yeah. because COVID began. And then the, the immediately following that, the very next Sunday, um, we didn't have in-person gatherings at all for several months. And so um, I jumped into First Peter, uh, and that was that was for for a lot of different reasons. But uh, one of the things that struck me about Peter was um, the audience mm-hmm. uh, being exiled and the nature of being separated. And obviously, Peter's audience is very different from the first world American audience in Cookville, Tennessee. However, we were separated at the period of time when we needed each other the most. Right. And so, um, yeah, we, we jumped into a different series, um, in a different way, uh, certainly. And, um, but, but found comfort in, in the word, uh, in a way that we hadn't previously. Yeah. First Peter is, um, as like you said, it's, its target audience is addressed to folks that Peter describes as, 
any number of terms are, are pretty useful. Uh, refugees, aliens, sojourners, exiles, all, all of those are pretty, pretty accurate uh, translations of what Peter describes there. Um, and, and, and you're right in, uh, in a lot of ways, it, some people were literally without homes. Um, I mean, like you'd mentioned, some 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 buildings, it, it, a lot of homes, especially, you know, not two pieces of wood stuck together. One of the things that's, that st- still sticks out in my mind about that series and around the, the context of the original audience is that many of those folks who'd been around in and around Jerusalem at the beginning of the church, when the church was uh, started, uh, were in places they never thought they would be. Mm. And metaphorically, uh, for us, while we all still live in the same hometown, emotionally, mentally, um, we were in places we never thought we would be, you know, and, and having lived through what we lived through two weeks previous, um, and literally seeing news crews surround our town for two weeks and then being at home, um, it, it, it felt fitting and obviously didn't plan on that, but, but believe the Lord had a hand in directing that for our church body. Yeah. Peter goes on to say, especially in, uh, in chapter two and around the middle part of chapter three, that um, he, he goes on to stress the importance of their, uh, of their unity in the face of this adversity. Now the adversity that they were facing might be a little bit different from, from what y'all were facing, it wasn't necessarily a natural disaster, but it's Peter's Peter's message still rings true that y'all were y'all were um, in a place where you never could have reasonably expected to be, and uh, and, and you know your unity as a as a group, uh, as a church, and even as a city was. Um, yeah, was all the more necessary. Yeah. You had one Sunday where you're all back together. And then another Sunday where half of your membership was uh, justifiably concerned about COVID. Sure. So we just didn't, un- a, a year ago, we didn't understand it like we do now. And then after that, uh, churches uh, in Tennessee were asked to, uh, asked to close uh, temporarily. Um, how much did COVID exacerbate the conditions left by the tornadoes? I, I don't think it can be overstated. Um, we were not able to, to grieve in the way we would have. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly there, there are ways that we, that we would have grieved in my mind had we had, uh, quote, normal times. Um, you know, I, I I don't know that I can't speak authoritatively on that. However, I do believe that there are many things that we would have done that we just weren't able to do. Yeah. And ultimately the biggest thing, um, the biggest theological truth, the biggest practical truth, the biggest truth that I've experienced just in ministry practically um, that has, has really come home in, in my own thinking, in my own mind, something that I want to do better uh, in, in ministry moving forward over the last year has been the need for community, mm-hmm. um, for 
connectivity, for spiritual family. And I, I don't think it's by chance that when our leadership met December of 19 and then January and February of 20, 2020, talking about our church vision, that the first concept that we wanted our people to really know was that we want to be a family. And so we were going to kind of cut against the grain. Um, we were not going to move to multiple assemblies. We didn't really want to build a, a, a big space necessarily. Uh, you know, we've experienced some growth, but, but we wanted to keep that family identity mm -hmm. that has been so special at the College Tide Church for so long. I don't think it's, I don't think it's by any um, chance that, that that was what was on our hearts because that's what we needed the most uh, on and after March the 2nd. That's what we need the most now. And, um, and so COVID took away at least the practical application of family, right. but COVID, COVID did not kill that mm -hmm. because very quickly we, we figured out ways to connect and ways to, to, to touch um, in ministry ways, one another, but there's no doubt that we had to write on the fly as, as I'm sure all church leaders have had to yeah. uh, figure out how to stay connected for us. The stakes were that they felt incredibly high mm -hmm. because we needed one another so much. Yeah. And so um, not being able to be together obviously takes away one of the, the greatest opportunities for that. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to me that you, um, that you, you mentioned how in December of 2019 and then January and February of 2020, the uh, leadership there at the college side church is already having conversations about, about how you want to fully embrace your identity as a, as a church family and how you can continue to support and bolster and engender that, um, that identity as a church family. When, you know, I, a week later, you have these tornadoes hit and then COVID hits. Something that I've seen kind of happen through um, through this last year, and it, John, I'm sure you've seen it as well. Uh, it, it, and many of our many of our friends and associates in ministry have seen this as well. That God seems to to be preparing us for things even before we know we're going to need that. Amen. Have y'all have seen that happen at College Side, especially this last year? I, I don't know who said it first. It's certainly not me. Uh, I think we can our, quote you here and now, though. <laughs> one of our one of our administrative assistants has got this on her wall. Um, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Yeah. You've heard something along those yeah. lines. I, I can't tell you, Kevin. I cannot tell you the number of ways that I've seen that put into practice. And um, we had, I, I say, I'm going to say pushback, but, but I want you to understand when I say that we had some pushback 
to the family kind of thrust of our vision. Um, it wasn't from like a negative perspective. We didn't have people saying, Oh, we don't want to be a family, but, <laughs> but, but, but we, we did have people saying, why is that number one? Sure. Right. We need to either build a bigger building or increase the size of our campus, or we need to go do outward things first. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the, the Lord, there, there was again, a group of, of us on our leadership that had those conversations and we just felt convicted and I can't, I don't know the better word other than that, mm-hmm. that, that family needed to be first because if, if, if in fact we were going to do some outward based ministry, if we were going to try to transform some things outside of these walls with the Lord's help, we needed to be who we needed to be first. Um, you know, the foundation matters. And, um, and there were even times I doubted that myself, but I'll never doubt it again. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I've always believed, you know, in reading the word and have seen that God helps those even before they know they need help Yeah. in preparing them for what it is they're going to face. But, but I'll be real honest with you. I had never experienced it quite like that. It's not that I didn't believe it. It's just that I never experienced it quite like that personally mm-hmm. to then rely so heavily um, on family. There, there was, um, if you've got any psychologists that, that listen to this, um, they'll probably be able to psychoanalyze uh, <laughs> some of yeah. this. But one of our other administrative assistants brought me something just to my office uh, a week or two ago. And we're, we're now, as, as we're filming this, we're preparing for the one year memorial uh, service that we're going to have here at our church uh, on our church campus in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And um, she brought me something to edit. It's one of my uh, informal jobs is I edit uh, much of our communication. You have I'm your English, red pen stashed away back there on your desk. I, I actually always have one on me. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm kind of uh, a nerd when it comes to, to, to language and words and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, um, I, I read it and, and made some changes. And, and after I read it, she asked me, she said, do you know what this is? Do you know who wrote that? And I said, I, I don't have a clue, you know, Whoever it was, they forgot this punctuation and that, you know, that, whatever. Well, it I was don't me. think I want to know who read it. No, that's right. It was me. Wow. Uh, I had written that two weeks after the storm in 2020. Uh, it was a churchwide communique that we had sent out uh, when we were fixing to close down some things and some some things we needed to communicate to our church. And um, I, th- I think it ended positively and all that. But Kevin, I'll tell you, I had no recollection of it. Wow. None, none. And I still don't. Um, I don't remember writing it. And not only did I write it, but I also, um, I spoke it at the last assembly before we closed down Mm -hmm. and then recorded it for all of our social media platforms. I mean, I, I, I wrote it, sent it out in the mail and then spoke it twice and I have no recollection of it. What, so, what do you make of all that? Well, I believe 
that as I look back over um, that six week period and, and really even more than that, but, but specifically to isolate that six week period that the Lord was a step ahead, mm-hmm. not just in my own life, but in all of our staff, for, you know, in all of our leaders, our elders, our ministry leaders, um, I believe the Lord was out front yeah. and um, he was carrying us through what we could not get through on our own and providing for us. And, you know, I know in our fellowship um, in, in the past, not so much now, there's some uncomfortableness um, around some of that. And, and I don't know what to make of all that theologically. Uh, but I know that it was not in my own power. Sure. And so um, how all that works all the time, I don't know. But, but I know that's what happened then. And so the Lord was certainly in front and out ahead leading us. Um, and, and that 23rd Psalm, mm, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was food for the soul, you know, mm-hmm. through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. You're with me. Yeah. And he demonstrated that. Yeah. And you mentioned almost not knowing precisely how the, um, how that process works where you can, I don't know where you can have almost a, an exceptional measure of grace to give others yeah. that far exceeds what otherwise you feel like you might be able to put together There's in, in the moment. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's fair to see that as maybe an expression of God's grace. I, I, I think you'd be along. I think you'd be a, able to agree with that too. For sure. Just based sure. on what I know we've talked about in the past. Right. Yeah. Well, John, in your estimation, what is, what's the impact of not being able to deal with the tragedy of the tornadoes like you would have otherwise had COVID not hit? You've hinted at that a little bit, but let's, let's dig into that for a little, if you don't mind. Yeah. I, for me, I think it stunted, um, it stunted dealing with um, grief mm-hmm. appropriately, maybe. And, and, and I might not mean what you think I mean um, by that. Um, I, I think in the church so often we are so quick to redeem things. And, and, and that's because we're redeemed people. Of course. Uh, we, we believe in redemption. We practice redemption, at least we should. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been redeemed for those of us that have decided to trust and follow uh, after Jesus and, and been immersed and covered in his blood and all yeah. that. Uh, but one of the greatest lessons, and, and I, I, I want to freely admit this to you. I didn't know this a year ago, a year ago today, I, I did not know this, but walking through what we've walked through and with whom we've walked uh, has taught me that um, we don't always have to redeem things. The Lord redeems things. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is we don't always have to say, 
well, this was really bad, but look at all this good. Yeah. Look at all the good that has happened. And I think because we've not been able to be together, the temptation, and I mean that on purpose, I mean to use that word, the temptation to just kind of um, gloss over some of that loss has been especially potent. Mm. Um, And so there's no doubt that the Lord is good. There's no doubt that God's name has been praised in ways that maybe wouldn't have been, you know, had, had, had these experiences not occurred, but we still grieve and we still mourn. And, and there's a reason why so many lament Psalms don't offer a resolution at the end. They just say, we don't like the way that it is, but we trust you. And that's, that's as much as we can say right now. Um, and, and there's, there's something to grieving like that, that I think we rob ourselves of to, to sit in the space where I don't have it all figured out. I don't know what to make of all of this, but God help me trust you more. Help me see the way you see your ways are above my ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. Um, there's something quite powerful in turning your own heart and your own experience over to the Lord in a way that that maybe you wouldn't have had a disaster or tragedy not happened. Mm -hmm. There's something powerful that church leaders, that ministers, that preachers, um, that elders, that deacons can lead their people in if they'll just sit and rest and trust, but not have to resolve everything. Yeah. You mentioned this uh, last time when we were talking, just kind of kind of run through some of the things that we wanted to talk about. This is, this is a direct quote from you. And maybe this is another one of those kinds of instances where you might not remember this, but this was just a couple of weeks ago. So I'm not going to let you off the hook that easily. <laughs> you said, let lament be lament. You don't have to resolve it. Let lament be lament. It's you don't true. have to resolve it. You, you don't have to resolve it. There, I don't know if it's our fellowship, if it's Churches of Christ, or if it's the American experience. I happen to believe it's the latter, um, more so than the former. We don't lament. Not for long. Mm-hmm. We might lament, but by the time that closing prayer happens, it better be resolved. You, yeah. you, you better... You better have the invitation offered and the good news. Singing to be happy today. That's right. And, and, and there, is, there is something unnatural about grieving and lament. And listen, it doesn't just have to be a tragedy. Right. Um, it, it, it can be a personal failure. It can be some situation that happens within a church body. It can be a death. I mean, th- there are a lot of ways that it can manifest itself. But, but if you've spent any amount of time in church, if you're watching this or listening to this, you've sat through a service on a Sunday that you remember that just felt different. Mm-hmm. And, and because some news was shared, some, some event has occurred. And to stand up at the end of that service and sing, sing and be happy or count your many blessings or, or which are good songs. 
which are I mean, fantastic songs. Which are good songs, okay, right. And, and we believe those songs. Yeah. But to sing those songs on that day, listen, let lament be lament. Yeah. Uh, ju- just lament and end with, Lord, we need you. We, we, we need you. There's something powerful yeah. uh, in that space. I think so. I've, I've been in church services before where someone came either confessing grave sin or, um, or, or just you know, weeping because they were broken at you know, a diagnosis sure. or something along those lines. And um, it just, it felt right to stop and sit and just be with them um, rather than maybe continuing with the same set list that we had. And I'm not a worship minister, so. Well, me either, but, but I will say, Kevin, I I believe um, on a, on a philosophical level, maybe, and certainly on a theological one that to just sit and to not offer an explanation for why actually demonstrates more trust Hmm. in God. Um, I can see that. And I want to be on that side. Yeah. Always. I want to be on the side of demonstrating more trust to God in God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so one of the things that struck me this year, and there are a lot of things and, and I've shared many of those already, but, um, you know, the friends of Job, they sit with him and there's, you know, they go back and forth and each offers an explanation for why Job endured what he endured throughout that whole book. Every single person who offers an explanation for why other than God is wrong. Mm. Every one of them other than God is wrong in some way sure. uh, or until God's spokesman shows up, you know, and they've they've clearly missed the whole picture. That's right. And so just be, be slow to offer an explanation. I guess that would be my practical advice. Um, Be slow to offer an explanation for why things happen Mm -hmm. and just say, God, we need you. I think there's, I think we demonstrate trust. Um, We demonstrate trust in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of trust is like you said, pretty radical when it, when it can come from a place of, of hurt, confusion, yeah. justifiable anger at what has happened. And yet still there's this, there's this thought that you know, comes out and says, despite all of this, we will trust. Mm-hmm. We will still affirm your goodness. Yeah. Johnny said that we're about, um, y'all are about to have the one year memorial one year later, what do you want other people to know about what y'all have been through and, and what you're still going through? We would covet your prayers. Um, 
the power of prayer cannot be overstated. And I thought about that question, Kevin, a lot because and I knew I was going to respond in that way. And, and I know it's cliche. Um, and, and I hate that it's cliche. Mm-hmm. But the reason that it's cliche is because it is inherently true. Yeah. And the power of prayer um, is sustaining. Um, it's remarkable the number of contacts that we had in March and April of last year uh, from, from all over the world. Certainly people donated financially and donated with their time and, and their skilled labor and cleaning things up in our community and in all those ways. And we appreciate all those, profoundly appreciate all those, those gifts. Um, it was also the notes that we received in the mail, the text messages that I received from preachers in this area, um, even outside of our fellowship that just dropped a note and said, Hey, we we are praying for you. I am praying for you right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And we would ask that you continue to do that um, for, for our church family, but, but, but we weren't the only folks affected. Like you mentioned, there were places in Nashville and places in Chattanooga Mm -hmm. uh, that also uh, had, quite a bit of damage and, and, um, some tragedy of their own. And so we, we would certainly covet your prayers, um, for us and, um, and would ask that you continue to be faithful, um, in that. Yeah. When we were talking about this earlier, um, to kind of get this, get this meeting set up, I had mentioned that it seems like y'all have learned how to lament more fully, more completely. You talked a little bit about, about that. It seems like lament allows us to, um, maybe allows us to be, be honest Mm. in a way that, um, in a way that otherwise we, we might be tempted not to be because, uh, you know, like we've been saying, it does, it does come from a place of pain and confusion and sometimes anger. But if you've, if you've learned how to lament well, like the Psalms, the lament Psalms, especially direct us to do, um, we've, we've been able to give ourselves language, I think, for how we can, how we, how we can talk to God in that, yeah. in those times. Otherwise, we might not might not be able to to gain that kind of language. Well, I, I think one of the things I love how you said that um, it, it gives us language. I, I think the danger in not lamenting in that way, uh, in the way that the psalmist does, in as much as we can, is when we feel that way, and we will. If you live long enough, you're, you're going to have an experience where you're going to need to lament. And if you don't have the language of lament, you're not going to know what to do with those feelings. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to know 
where to place that anger. And so I would say, you know, in the church, much of the time, anger misplaced, if you trace that back far enough, it's because they've not had language to put their feelings to. Wow. And so yeah. it's misdirected. Mm-hmm. And uh, misdirected anger is always dangerous. Um, and, 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 and so I think lament gives us not only the opportunity to begin the healing process, because it roots us in the trust, um, in trust of God, but it also helps us practically deal with some of those things. So we don't misdirect so much at our brothers and sisters. And, um, that's especially important in the American context again, because, we need a solution every Sunday. Um, and we need, we need four steps every Sunday. And if the preacher didn't give us four steps, then we didn't really have church. And, and, and it's just not so. Um, I've really paid attention. I, I'm in my daily Bible reading this year. Uh, my oldest son and I are following a plan that we've never followed before. And um we're, we are reading one Psalm a day alongside of everything, you know, chronological plan that you kind of have seen before, but there's Mm -hmm. one Psalm attached to it every day. And I've really paid attention. So, you know, we're like 57, 58 Psalms in, I've really paid attention um, to the context of the Psalm and tried to, to, to contextualize that in as much as I could. It's the first time in my life I've ever read one Psalm a day, mm-hmm. every day. And, um, and so to pay attention to the context and to know much of the time what David is facing as he is lamenting. Yeah. And then to know the overarching story of David that he always kind of circles back to trust in God has, has been very remarkable. Like if you do nothing else in the midst of tragedy as a leader personally, if you do nothing else other than before you go to sleep at night on any given day and, and tell the Lord, I don't know what to do with all this. I need you and I trust you. You've done enough. Mm-hmm. Um, not only will it help you trust him more, but it will help you not misdirect your anger. I had never thought about the, one of the negative consequences of not lamenting being misdirecting your anger uh, for those uh, who are very kind enough to listen to this, you do not have to be in ministry very long before you realize that misdirected anger is something that ministers of all shapes and sizes, not just preaching ministers, but you know, it, really church leaders, uh, you know, elders, deacons, etc. Misdirected anger is something that is just a reality that, that we face as, um, as working with churches. I was uh, I was dialoguing with a that sounds so formal. I was talking. <laughs> uh, I was uh, I was talking with a, with a friend the other day about uh, about a situation, and they said that they have noticed that almost a hundred percent of the time, the problem is not the problem. 
the problem that you know excites someone's anger or frustration with you as a minister is is often the last straw when they have been carrying a load of other things unseen to us that's right and um and you just happen to be the last straw you happen to be the one that you know that sets off the spark and the and I, John, I, I think that that really does make a lot of sense that if we had if we had the language of lament, if it was natural to us, right? Okay, so the language of praise comes almost naturally to Christians because we, especially if you've been, if you've been going to church all your life, which you and I have, not, not all of the, you know, the audience will, but you know, for those who have gone to church, that's almost your native language. But we've got to be bilingual, at yes. least, at least bilingual to to be as fluent in lament as we are in praise. And if we just don't have any, if we just don't have any capability of lamenting, then we're left with nothing better to do than to present ourselves as if we always have it together. That's right. I don't, I don't know if that, I don't know if the string, if I was able to tie those strings together well enough, but does that make there, sense? Yeah, there, there's no doubt. Um, it makes complete sense. And, and the minister is um, typically one of the more visible people mm-hmm. is, is a, a lot of folks misdirect their anger at God and they can't, they feel like they can't get to God. And so they're going to take it out on his, on his people. Sure. And yeah. uh, in their mind, it's it's going to be one of the ministers, one of the one of the elders, one of the deacons, uh, some somebody in leadership, um, and that that creates a domino effect um, because not only now, now if you trace this, not only does does a lack of having a language of lament lead to misdirected anger, misdirected anger never exists in a vacuum, right? And so then it 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 will you know, go outward and infect other people. And so um, there will certainly be collateral damage relationally. And, and again, if you trace that far enough back, I like, I like the term becoming bilingual. I like that idea, um, having a vocabulary of praise, but also a language of lament. Um, it, it, it undergirds our faith. Um, and listen, I, I've I've lived long enough to know that there are a lot of smart, well-intentioned, good people who don't know Jesus in the world, who when they hear a pat church answer for why bad things happen, they're not buying it. And l- so, lament is a better way to go all the way around. Yeah. Um, it, it, for, 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 for non-believers, for believers, it's a better way to go, but, but, but there's always going to be collateral damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you trace that far enough back, it's, it's going to be misdirected anger attached to not, not lamenting. Fascinating. Yeah. John, as we kind of wrap up uh, with our time together, uh, this afternoon, um, is there anything else that you want to mention? You know, I, I asked, I did ask, you know, a year later, what do we need to know? Is, is there any, anything else that you want to mention to kind of tie a bow on, on this conversation? And if are there are other ways that folks can still help, what are some of those ways maybe as well? Yeah. Uh, you know, 
just keep praying for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we would appreciate that. I will share one other lesson just, just real quick um, that has become very personal uh, to me. And I don't remember where I heard it. It's one of those deals. Um, I heard it around a year ago, around the, the, the storm. Honestly, the best I can remember, I think it was a newscaster uh, that I did an interview with a reporter, uh, with a, a station in Nashville that I did with that we kind of were talking back and forth and led me to this thought. Um, we don't move on, but we do move forward. Mm-hmm. And that has been something that I, that probably a phrase that I've thought of every day, every single day since March the 3rd of last year. And we don't move on from the people that we lost. We don't move on from all of that, but we do move forward in faith. We don't forget. Um, one of my Old Testament exegesis professors on the undergraduate level talked about the story of Job and said he was preaching from the story of Job and one time and somebody, maybe it was a Bible class, I guess. And somebody in the Bible class, you know, kind of commented at the end, well, you know, God, God gave Job all of his kids back, or he gave him more children than he had the first go round. And he was like, yeah, but he still lost his kids. And was it a student who said that? <laughs> I won't tell you. who. Oh, okay. Probably I, I don't need to know, but yeah. <laughs> I, the, the, uh, it feels like somebody who's not a parent that, oh, or 100%. was not a parent at that point said that that's exactly right yeah but but his point was well taken again it's easy to gloss over the pain Mm -hmm. to get to the prize yeah and um job still he still had children that he put in the ground yeah and so i believe job is not a mythical man not a legend i was a real person with real emotion and um, real experiences that the world has been telling, you know, for thousands of years. And Job did not move on from the memory of his children, did not move on from the experiences that he had in the past, but he did move forward with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And there's a subtlety there. and, And you might could, you know, could, squabble about some of the, 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 the vocabulary, but the subtlety that exists in my mind between moving on and moving forward is certainly worth understanding yeah. and certainly worth walking in. Yeah. And that's something that I know y'all are daily demonstrating not moving on, but moving forward. Yeah. That's what we try to do. Yeah. For sure. Agreed. Well, John, I really appreciate you taking some time to, to talk with me um, about these experiences. There's, there's just a host of other things and uh, other people that we could talk with. But um, a year later, I know that, that, um, some healing has taken place, uh, but those some of those wounds are are still there, and it might take a lifetime yep. uh, for some of those wounds to heal. 
Um, I had mentioned my uh, my parents uh, near the beginning of this broadcast, and um, you know m my parents weren't the only family members affected. As you, uh, you're uh, very good friends with uh, one of my brothers, and so I had, we're aware of a lot of what has happened, and um, and and it, it was pretty fascinating to see. Uh, like you said, it, just the international concern that uh, that was expressed for um, uh, for so many. They're in Cookville and in the Middle Tennessee area as well. But you know, John, I appreciate you sharing with us. I appreciate um, I appreciate your uh, your your insight, especially into in, into God's grace. That I think you would say that otherwise you might not have gained. No doubt. If there is, um, I don't think silver lining is the appropriate term, but that in in God's grace, we can still find ways to heal and, and grow and be redeemed. Amen. Ev even in terrible situations like this. So, God's not going to waste any of our experience or yours. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, John, hope you have a good rest of the day, sir. Really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. I'm... Uh, I, I, I have enjoyed our conversation. It definitely given me a lot to think about. And um, this might be something that we return to uh, at some point, maybe next year or some other time, uh, you know, kind of developing this idea of the, the language of lament yes. and, uh, and how that can be useful for us. So, John, Great. glad to have you with us on the podcast, sir. And uh, don't be a stranger. And maybe we'll be able to get to another time here in the near future. Thank you, brother. We appreciate you. Thank Take you for care. Bye-bye.